0: Well, good morning, Grace family. We hope you are well and enjoying these beautiful days we're having of late. Well, as you know, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I was remembering some years back when Tracy and I took our family back to Washington, D.C. for a summer vacation. And during our time, we, of course, visited a lot of memorials, but I remember being particularly moved when we visited the nearby Arlington Cemetery. The sea of crosses that blanketed the grass, each one marking a life, lived for this country, most of which died in sacrifice for our country. And I remember my sense of the price of the freedoms we enjoy was profoundly heightened that day. And that's what Memorial Day, which our nation observes tomorrow, is all about, to remember and to be grateful. And remembering is important, and I think in some ways it should be a practice we give ourselves to all the time just like the practice of gratitude. In fact, I think those two things are inextricably intertwined. And I I was thinking that as Christians, we should be really good rememberers, (laughs) always remembering God's blessing in our lives, the eternal spiritual blessings which he has given to all those who put their faith and trust in him, everything we need for life and faith, but also, of course, the countless material benefits that we enjoy all the time that we often take for granted. So this weekend, as we observe our nation's Memorial Day, let's actually do just that. Let's observe it by remembering all of God's blessings to us, including the ones that we have had the privilege to enjoy in America over the course of our lives, freedoms and privileges that have not been known or experienced for most people down through human history. And I like how the great British poet, Rudyard Kipling said, All we have of freedom, all we use or know, this our fathers bought for us long and long ago. Well, today we have Daniel Gaiman teaching us from God's Word. And for those of you who don't know Daniel, Daniel is one of our elders at Grace. And he and his wife, Teresa, have been faithful members of our Grace family for almost 22 years now. And many of you know their story stories of God's grace and redemption, a beautiful work of God. So we're grateful to have him teach us today. Well, why don't we just take a moment to go to God right now and ask him to prepare our hearts for worship. Father, we are grateful that you are with us. We acknowledge our need for you, so much so that Everything that we would want to see happen in our lives, spiritually speaking, cannot happen apart from you. Lord, as we encounter your word today, would you give us a receptivity to your voice, that our hearts would be fertile ground for you, and that what's planted there would take root and bear rich fruit, pleasing to you and glorifying to your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, and our Savior. Amen.
1: Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displays, and sings my soul. How great th-
2: So today we'll be looking at God's work through community. And this is Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to the apostles, some to the prophets, some to the evangelists, and some to the pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Well, hello again. I'm happy to be back with you and to pick up in the series that David has been doing on aspects of the kingdom life. Uh, Last week, David wrapped up a series in which he was talking about this book as being a living thing and asked us, what is your relationship with this book? Which is a great question, right? And I think about other than my wife, this is pretty much my main squeeze, the only other person I talk to every day, just as a thought. This week, we're gonna shift to community. And just as we asked, what is your relationship with this book? Because it's a living thing, we're gonna look at a similar premise that the body of Christ is a living being, not just a living thing, it's a living, he's a living being with whom we are called to build a relationship that becomes the place where God dwells. How exciting is that? In Exodus, um, God gives Moses a set of instructions on how to put together the temple, plus all its equipment and furnishings down to the things that the priests are gonna wear and the holy hats, which is one of my favorite part of the description. It's like a spec book for a construction project. Um, it's, it consumes 12 chapters of the book. It's really intense. People in my line of work tend to like that sort of thing. Uh, I'm an architect, if you don't know. So Moses eventually gets to work. He undertakes the instructions, and he fabricates everything as the Lord commanded. It says that a lot in Exodus. And once everything was in place, God showed up. It says in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Almost 500 years later, we see a really similar pattern repeat itself with Solomon, although this time he was building the actual uh, temple out of stone and wood and gold things in Jerusalem. And the same process, he gets finished, they load up the ark and God shows up again. In 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11 it says when the priests withdrew from the holy place that's after depositing the ark there the cloud filled the temple of the lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the lord filled his temple that phrase is exactly the same between the two passages and then solomon had a second to reflect on what he had done and he said the lord had said that he would dwell on a dark cloud I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Now, jumping to the New Testament, in Ephesians, we've been touching on that book on and off for several weeks or months, perhaps. Um, It also has a theme of a dwelling being built for God and how it is to be done. Um, Here the temple is not one of sticks and bricks, but of living, breathing people, you, me, and all who believe. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians two, uh, chapter uh, verse nineteen, and Paul has just explained how God, uh, Jesus, has removed the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Therefore, he starts in verse nineteen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. A lot of architect buzzwords thrown in that, by the way. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That should sound stunningly familiar because it's so similar to what happened with both the tabernacle, and the temple. Few things to observe about that paragraph. Number one, household can refer to a dwelling, but it is absolutely as likely to refer to the inhabitants who dwell there. So it's the building or the people. Number two, it is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. And I'm just going to say between us, that's the scriptures, basically, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Third, the building grows Uh, in New King James. It translates uh, rises as grows, which I like better because it sounds more organic. But it grows to become a holy temple. Now we're on the right track. And number four, God will live in this dwelling by his spirit. As believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, we're also parts of a much greater whole. When we come together in accordance with his will, God is going to dwell in this place and the old testament account suggests it will be glorious. Well, who doesn't want that? What's the way to get it? That's what we ask ourselves. Ephesians, just like Exodus, although in less detail, gives practical instructions on how to accomplish this building project. And back in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 suggests that there's a builder outside of ourselves. We are being built up, but we are also clearly involved in the process how we are to be involved is clarified in the book in terms of mechanics and attitudes. I'm not going to touch on those. I think David and others will hit on those in weeks after this. But quickly, I want to take you back to chapter 1. In verse 22 and 23, God appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The idea of the fullness of Christ is very appealing to me, as I hope it is to you. As his body, we're not just a collection of individuals with similar interests who happen to gather socially. The church body, and there's a slash in there, but I don't want—I want to use the two words together, you, me, all of us together, is the continued revelation of his divine life in human form. Let me read that again. It's the continued revelation of his divine life in human form. That's from a 19th century commentary that I used, Jameson Fawcett and Brown, if you want to look it up. Uh, not only is the church the visible manifestation of Jesus to the onlooking world, but it is essential in our growth and sanctification, which is why it's following the word in terms of what our practices of kingdom people. Okay, Now I'm going to move down to the main text, which is in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8 tells us that Christ gave us grace and gifts to use in this process of self and, and mutual building up. What are these gifts? While there's a list in verse 11 that includes apostles and prophets, it also includes people you might recognize more clearly, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, nowhere does it indicate that these gifts are strictly the professional ministers of the church, okay? They also include laypersons for sure. Elders, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, uh, small group leaders, and child care helpers all have roles that include some degree of teaching and pastoring, or in other words, coming alongside fellow believers, even really little ones, to help sort out challenges and get folks on the right track and help keep them there. In a word, It's discipleship. Pastor Ray Steadman from Peninsula Bible Church has defined a spiritual gift as a capacity for service which is given to every true Christian. That's from his book, Body Life. Everybody has been given a gift, a grace from Jesus that is to be used in building up the body into the fullness of the measure of Christ, which is another way to say maturity. Some of those rules happen to be called out in the passage by name, others, not so. When we look at pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, childcare helpers, and youth workers, and there are probably more than I'm not naming, their role is very clear. They prepare God's people for works of service, it tells us in verse uh, 412, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Remember the temple, the building, it's rising, it's growing. Everyone has a role to play in the greater assembly, just like every tiny element of our physical bodies works in association with every other part to keep us functioning in a healthy way. Paul reinforces this idea of inclusion in verse 25, where he notes, we are all members of one body. Back to verse 16 for a moment, it reinforces the inclusion of all body parts in the equation. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is a very inclusive statement. Uh, Nobody gets left out of that. Or more precisely, nobody should withhold herself from that process either. There's a job for everyone to do, and it is essential that we all participate. And why would we want to devote ourselves to deliberately seeking ways to build up the body? The simple reason is so that we might both individually and corporately become mature, and here it is again, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, and furthermore, to be the place where God dwells. I already suggested that the church slash body is the continued revelation of his, Jesus, divine life in human form. Being ever mindful of this is critical to our unity and to our survival. The New Testament is replete with reminders that we are in Christ. ever wonder what that means? That speaks to the sealing of our souls by the Holy Spirit so that we have entered into a living, vital relationship with Jesus, but it also directs us to the bigger picture, that we are a part of the manifestation of the physical body of Jesus Here on earth. Okay? The manifestation of the physical body of Jesus here on earth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic, The Cost of Discipleship, which incidentally, if you have not read that book recently, I would urge you to reread it. It's so good. He says, The church is the real presence of Christ. Once we've realized this truth, we are well on the way to recovering an aspect of the church's being which has been sadly neglected in the past. We should think of the church not as an institution, but as a person. Though, of course, a person in a unique sense. Oh, that's a bit mind-boggling, isn't it? The life of Christ has been perpetuated on earth in the form of his body, the church. Consider that for a moment. Christ is in each of us individually if we believe, and we can be confident of his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. And we are also in him, both individually and corporately, as his physical presence here on earth. This means when we are together, in a small group or large, we are the literal physical presence of Christ. We are somehow working together in a mysterious process that keeps his body, his body, alive and functioning. We're working directly with one another, as suggested in Ephesians 4.29 and other verses. In some way, then, as a part of the body of Christ, I am Jesus to you every bit as much as you are Jesus to me. Have you ever longed to see Jesus? I have more times than I can count. Well, I have awesome news for you. Any group of believers, not only is Jesus in each of us, but together we are his physical presence to one another and the place where God dwells by his spirit. It's a delight to be together with God's people because while it's great to be a hair or a toenail or a blood cell in Christ, in isolation, it's infinitely better to be joined with the greater body so that we may play our God-given role in the flourishing of the whole. I'll tell you, I have often grappled in my prayer times with a deep desire to be in the literal presence of the glorified Jesus. It's sublimely encouraging to know that when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I am in his literal physical presence as well as part of it. I've prayed so many times, Jesus, just let me see you. When I look at you, I see him. And hopefully when you look at me, you see him. We're meant to be together. Just as a hair, a toenail, or a blood cell would not survive for long if kept apart from the body, neither will we. That's one of the reasons why so many of us are longing to be back in one another's company. One of the great results of gathering together, particularly in small groups, is the opportunity to get to know other body parts more intimately. This is accomplished by sharing more of ourselves, by being intentionally vulnerable, revealing our authentic selves in the proper context, not always everything for everybody all the time, to others so that we may be truly known by them and loved and encouraged by them in the grace and love of Jesus, even as we are doing the same. This is what bodybuilding looks like. Our role model for giving ourselves to one another is Jesus himself. In Ephesians 5, Everybody knows this passage, super familiar. It talks about various intimate relationships, including marriage, uh, parents and children, even slaves and masters. The discussion seems to me to really be almost more about the relationship of Christ and his church than any of those intimate relationships. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I don't know about you, that verse just takes my breath away what Christ gave to us so he could present us to him as blameless. This is how Jesus loves the church. That's in Ephesians 4, 22 through 27, by the way. If we, as disciples of Jesus, are imitators of Jesus, is this not a sublime model to emulate? We are the physical body of Jesus on earth, and at the same time, the object of his very great and overwhelming attention and affection. In Ephesians four sixteen. It notes that the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Therefore, loving ourselves is a cornerstone of this process. What do I mean by that? By loving ourselves, I mean loving ourself that is the body of Jesus in the manner of Jesus, We are corporately his bride-in-waiting, the subject of his extraordinarily good intentions. Should we not embrace this paradigm of loving Christ's body as he himself loved it? He loved it, and he gave himself up for it. In Ephesians 4.25, in the New King James Version, it says, We are members of one another. On some mystical level that I can't explain here, that means I'm also in you as you are in me. Your survival, flourishing, and joy are with all within my reach to influence and nourish. In loving you, I am loving the body of Jesus, which is an expression of gratitude for the astonishing love he showed me by taking on flesh and suffering death on the cross. But it's also practical and logical. Paul reminds us in chapter 5, verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That's from the King James Version. My encouragement to us this week is that we make a renewed and concerted effort to love Jesus in the flesh by loving and ministering to those around us in his body. How can all the diverse parts of our body, who in many cases have been kept apart from one another for a long time, re-engage? How can we re-engage with vision and purpose? I pray that every member of our congregation would not only have an individual they could look to as a mentor, but also that they would be active in searching out other believers to mentor to whom they could be a role model, sounding board, caregiver, and shepherd, whether one-to-one or in a group setting. Has something been keeping you on the sidelines, reluctant to get in the game and discover what your role is in building up the body of Christ? I think it's conceivable that you feel unqualified or inadequate. But let me tell you something. As long as there's anyone in the assembly who's one step behind you in your spiritual journey they will benefit from your knowledge and experience as you are willing to share it with them or as i like to say jokingly you don't have to have a phd to teach bible stories to a four-year-old just saying open your eyes ears and heart have you noticed a younger person who you believe might be struggling or searching for direction they're not hard to find reach out to her you don't need to be perfect. You only need to be willing and trust the Holy Spirit's guidance. Or maybe you need encouragement or guidance or shaping. Or maybe a kickstart to motivate and exhilarate your walk with the Lord. What's holding you back? Look around. Identify somebody who has some quality, some spiritual characteristics that you want, and see if you can attach yourself to them. Or talk to a leader you recognize to get some direction to somebody like that. The available wisdom, devotion, and maturity within our congregation is astonishing and readily available, trust me. There are plenty of folks longing to be approached by you who will come alongside you and offer all those things I described a moment ago so we can mutually build up the body In love. Why stay on the sidelines and miss this amazing experience of being a contributing part of the physically present Jesus? We have the opportunity to gather together, freer now than it's been for a long time to engage with one another, to mutually seek the building up of the body so that we may all attain to the fullness of Christ and that God may dwell in us so we see his glory. Be bold. Be a part of the whole. I have a challenge for you this week. I'll tell you a story. Is um, I happen to be on an injectable medication, And the first time my doctor told me I would need to inject this medication, I looked at him like, and I hate needles. And I looked at him and said, how am I going to do that? And he just looked at me and he said, Daniel, commit. So is kind of how that works. I'm saying the same thing to you that I'm pleading with you to be a part. So I'm just saying, commit. This week, choose one thing. One thing that you can do that puts the health and vitality of the body of Christ first. I'm saying this to myself as well as saying it to you. Just do it.
0: Well we hope you have been encouraged today and we invite you to keep the conversation going with whoever you are with by engaging the discussion questions at the end of this video. let me just end our time with this benediction from Ephesians Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.